What's up, guys? We're back again. We're your co-hosts, Angelina and Olivia. Thank you so much for tuning in to Allegedly on this auspicious Thursday as we sit down to discuss society through the lens of radical politics, spirituality, astrology, and personal and collective liberation. We hope all of you listening leave each episode with a deeper understanding of yourself, your communities, and the world around you. At the end of the day, we want you to feel empowered. So sit back, plug in, and listen to what we have to say because shit isn't adding up and we're about to break it all down. But remember, everything everything we say is alleged. Hi. Happy Scorpio season. Happy Scorpio season. Or I don't know if it's been so happy, honestly. Scorpio season has been like completely obliterating my ass. Literally. I'm hanging on by a bobby pin. Like I'm (laughs) barely surviving. Something that I've been seeing on social media a lot during this time is people have been having very vivid dreams. And we know like Scorpio is a very intuitive sign. So it really makes sense during this time. That's why this week, it's so appropriate to talk about dreams, sleep, and imagination. So at least for me, I've been having a lot of dreams involving water, my like family life, a lot of reoccurring symbols. So I've been like dreaming of pools and oceans and lakes and snow and rain. Actually, recently, I saw Ethereal Dean, obviously plug them so hard. Um, It was such a great session. I did the dream interpretation session and it really resonated with me. It felt like- Like they were reading you for filth. Yeah, no, literally. And it's so accurate and on point, but it gave me a lot of insight into like better understand dreams as a language in and of itself. And as we'll get into um, later in the episode, not always something to be interpreted but rather create a more like holistic view on yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, like I don't really dream that much because like I have horrible sleep hygiene. Mm -hmm. But so the other day I was stalking my private Twitter and the craziest thing happened. So I was just like stalking myself and I see this tweet from like November 9th, 2016. So I was like a freshman in college. and. I basically am like, yo, I had the weirdest dream. And in that dream, which like, if you want me to like post screenshots of like what I wrote, DMF. But like, I basically like was like predicting like COVID. Like, I'm not trying to give myself like all this fucking clout. But I literally was like, something happened that made it unsafe for us to be on campus. And we all had to leave. And I was calling my Mm -hmm. parents crying like, no, no, no. And then, like, another crazy part of the dream that was, like, predictive was in the dream, I, like, turned to my roommate and I was like, where are you going? Where are you going? Like, are you going to a different school? Like, we need a room together again. And she was like, I'm not going to another school. Like, I'm studying business and so I don't need a degree to do business. And even, like, when I was writing the dream, I was like, what the fuck? She's not studying business because she was, like, pre-med like me at that time. The crazy thing is, though, like junior year, she eventually like switched to business and now she works in business. And so that was another like predictive part of the dream. that And like, didn't go on to like grad school or anything like you. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, I was like so shook it because I was like, whoa, like I'm kind of a fortune a psychic. <laughs> yeah. And so because I don't dream that much also, when I do, I like usually remember it because I'm like, You know, when you like wake up and like you forget what day it is and you're like, whoa, 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 
that's how I feel like after an intense dream and like because I talk so fucking much like I have to tell somebody because it's like this rocked my world because right. I don't like get the experience I don't have that experience that much. and wait that brings up an interesting point like when you tell someone your dream it's more just like the events and recall of what happened and like the experience of it but not the emotions and like the more personal meanings of the dream. So on one hand, I feel like it could be a very isolating experience because it's so hard to actually accurately recall the emotions and the feelings and just like the experience and the visuals of the dream and like the senses, not even just visual. When we recount our dreams, not only like is it like harder to communicate the emotion, probably just because of like one, the amount of like vulnerability that like requires but also because like we're not really focused on that. Like when you remember your dream, you're trying to remember all the details. Mm-hmm. Like you're more focused on like the storytelling aspect mm-hmm. of the dream because like that's the thing that you can like more readily communicate with someone else. And like in our Western society, like that is the thing that we like focus on to like be the source of interpretation. So it's like you did this in the dream, so that means this. You did this in the dream, mm-hmm. so that means this. It's more common in Western cultures to have this interpretive, like meaning making way to understand your dreams. I read a study, which I can link in the sources in the description, where they were studying like Buddhist and Tao philosophies and how in those cultures, the dreamer is left with a more open minded outlook on understanding the dreams because dreams can be shaped and transformed. It's not a static process. Like dreams are creative things, whether that be a reflection of like your own inner psyche or if it's actually a thing of its own. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they have this like open-minded approach to it where instead of you going to like a dream interpreter and then prescribing you this meaning for your dreams, you work with the dream interpreter. So like we were saying in episode two, and we were talking about pedagogy, it kind of reminded me of that teacher-student relationship. So in this process, like the non-interpretive process, it's a more, in my opinion, a better way to Mm self-reflect. When we bring up like the Western world versus the non-Western world and their culture surrounding dreaming and their approach towards like making meanings of dreams, the way like science particularly Western science, kind of falls short in being able to accurately analyze dreams and like dream meanings because the dream world is highly like inaccessible by science because you can't measure someone's neurophysiology while they're dreaming. Even if you attach like an EEG to measure someone's brainwaves while sleeping, you don't know at what point they're dreaming. They don't know Mm -hmm. at what point they're dreaming. All you can do is like deduce based on different scientific methods because like people have been studying dreaming and sleep in the academy and specifically science for like a minute now. I think it's really interesting how like science fails at an attempt to fully scientify, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word, the dream world because it's almost like the dreamscape is like almost like a place of refuge. Mm -hmm. it's very spiritual too right like from any sort of 
man-made tinkering, man-made attempts to illuminate it. Mm -hmm. This is not to say that like science has not at all touched the dream world. So for example, like through like a bunch of studies that study like sleep, neurology, we've kind of found out so far that dreams are like highly related to the processing of our emotions. In one study, a group of researchers found that like decreased REM sleep, which is like the sleep cycle in which you dream, has been Mm -hmm. like correlated to like more reactivity to anger, more reactivity to fear, and a decreased ability to like process and understand the complex emotions of life. The big reason why that was such a like important finding was because obviously processing complex emotion is essential to not just your individual, but also collective social functioning. Mm -hmm. And then like in a similar vein, another pretty prominent study showed that the brain waves that are like activated when you dream are similar to the brain waves that are activated when you encode episodic memory, which is just like Mm -hmm. when you encode the memory of things that happen to you. Through like a conglomeration of like different studies like that, while there hasn't been like a resounding conclusion about like dreams mean this, dreams mean that, which is a testament to like the aforementioned point about like the dreamscape being kind of inaccessible to science or I guess like the non-spiritual realm, there seems to be a like settled conclusion that dreams are highly correlated with our emotions and processing our emotions and encoding and constructing memories. So for example, in the study that I said earlier about how like with less REM sleep, you have less emotional regulation. Like we all have experienced that, right? When you like get less sleep, you're kind of more like crabby. You're more likely to like Mm -hmm. spaz out on someone for like your barista for getting your order wrong. What science has done is kind of explain why that is. And why REM sleep deprivation, so essentially dream deprivation, has been correlated to lack of emotional regulations is because scientists speculate that it's through our dreams that we process our emotions. So while what you experience in the dream may not be real, so like the fighting monsters, the like floating through lava, all that stuff, the emotions tied to those Mm -hmm. experiences are very in fact real what that allows us to do the process of attaching emotions to a memory or an experience or an event is that it tethers that emotion it grounds that emotion and so that emotion is no longer solely active on its own and that's where the emotional processing happens think about it like in yourself like baseless anxiety tears at you a lot more and puts you in a lot more of an uncomfortable position when you can be like, oh, like, I'm anxious because of this, when you can like tether that anxiety. That's where inner child work comes from. That's what therapy comes from. That's where all these things come from. You Mm -hmm. have these emotions, right, that need to be processed, that need to be understood by your psyche. So they don't manifest in ways that you can't understand. Mm -hmm. And that's also in the same way why lack of REM sleep or REM sleep deprivation has been correlated to mental health issues. That lack of the ability to dream allows for negative emotions like worry, fear, anxiety to not be processed. We talked about how powerful emotions were in the last episode, allegedly, we must escape celebrity culture. So especially after this whole Astroworld incident, I think everybody needs to hear that. To add on to what you're saying about the negative effects of lack of REM sleep, 
I also was watching this video where they're explaining how school time should be later. Non-REM sleep is very important because it helps with the development of critical thinking and reasoning. They pointed out that during puberty, this is when those levels start to rise of non-REM sleep. Mm -hmm. And also our circadian rhythms change. So we tend to sleep later and wake up later than adults just naturally. And when you think about school starting time so early, it really inhibits like this process of getting more non-REM sleep. And I just think that's also interesting because we just talked about the early education system um, in episode two. Mm -hmm. When I was speculating on this, I was wondering like, is the dreamscape really untouchable by your oppressors? When we look at Western science and even just like thinking about the role of dreams in the non-Western world, and we can like, I guess, like settle on this idea that dreams are sort of a place of refuge, a place that is like sort of untouchable by anyone except your own psyche. Like even by you, that's why you don't have control of your dreams. It like begs the question of what you were saying. Like, does that mean that the dreamscape is untainted by like our social Mm -hmm. norms, our oppressive systems and structures? I think that's like one of the interesting things about just living in a society that colonizes your mind, heart, and soul. Because, mm-hmm. like, if I had to answer this question, right, and also, like, a lot of people that talk about radical imagination, radical dreaming, they talk about how, like, your inner psyche and yourself and your imagination, right, have oftentimes been captured by the carceral state, by settler narratives, by white supremacist logic. And so, Oftentimes, we will get into this cycle of social reproduction, which is basically a self-perpetuation of the social structures that we exist within. And so, for example, like you can identify white supremacy as bad, but still operate under white supremacist logics, just like perfectionism, hyper-individualism, et cetera, et cetera. There we see you as the person, right, reproducing white supremacy within yourself and within your experiences and perpetuating that system. And so that isn't limited to like just your behavior. That's also in the way you think, in the way you imagine and and stuff like that. One thing that I feel like really makes them a place of refuge is their ability to break the boundaries of linear time. Dreaming allows you to sit at a perfect synergy of past, present, and future. When you understand time as the colonial construct that it is and the way that it like holds our imaginations captive, you realize like any place that can allow you to escape those confines is truly a place of refuge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I think about like time traveling, like I think about like manifestation, like an important part of it is actually literally time traveling, putting yourself in that place in this future place, but this future place isn't really future because it's now. Mm-hmm. It's becoming an alchemist this time. Oh, there's something else I was going to say about like colonized um, mindsets. It reminded me of this one article that I was reading and in it, the author was like, I'm paraphrasing, turning to our dreams is a political act. It's resistance against the manufactured dream world of corporations and brands. And Based on what we were saying about this idea of 
social reproduction. It's like, to what extent is turning to our dreams an act of resistance when your dreams are colonized? Well, first of all, I think that that can't be ascribed in the same manner to every single person. Because yes, we were all colonized subjects, but we are all colonized subjects in a very, very different manner. Mm -hmm. So like marginalized people are not colonized subjects in the way that like privileged people are. I feel like this goes back to what I was saying about how just like the imagination and the dreamscape or whatever is tainted by like oppressors and oppression and in tandem the dreamscape is seen as a place of refuge so for you to like see the dreamscape as a place of refuge there has to be first the understanding that you are in need of refuge right you are in need of escape by virtue of violence by virtue of harm by virtue of oppression by virtue of whatever and I feel like marginalized people have the ability to do that or even if they don't realize they're doing that, they have the wherewithal to at least identify the need for refuge. Mm -hmm. If you need refuge, then like you need refuge from something. And that something is directly antithetical to you or else you wouldn't need refuge from it. Mm -hmm. That is why the dreaming experience of marginalized people and people that aren't is very different. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody is absolved from social reproduction. But it's like, why would you reproduce something that you escaped from? And then also, I think obviously it points to the need for political education, right? Mm -hmm. Because without the awareness of whatever, then you reproduce. And because like we said, dreams are just the inner workings of your mind, your inner psyche. You don't always realize that the dynamics of your inner psyche is created by the experiences, stories, and the communities and the ideas that you have and share. Your dreams are just a reflection of that. And so mm -hmm. if your dreamscape is colonized, it's because like yourself is colonized. Mm -hmm. That right. can be undone through political education. But also I would argue that there is a limit in which marginalized people can exist within capitalist logics, exist within white supremacist logics, because those mm -hmm. logics are a self-undoing. And I would actually like recant my statement. I don't really think there's a limit to which marginalized people can like operate within oppressive logics because like look at the vice president of our country, look at all these people. I don't want it to be misconstrued that marginalized people like, oh, because I'm marginalized, like there's only so far in white supremacy I can go. No, you can be HBIC of the white supremacists for sure. But what I'm saying is that you participating in white supremacy is you're dehumanizing yourself versus mm -hmm. like white people participating in white supremacy is actively proliferating their personhood. And so when you're dehumanizing yourself, you're removing yourself from access to your emotions, like hope, like world building, like anything like that. Just it's like what Fiori has talked about. It's more of a testament to mind control and mind manipulation and the way that the oppressor has like so ravaged your own brain that you can participate in your own mm -hmm. dehumanization process. Your dreamscape is not going to be a place of refuge because you don't need refuge. Your dreamscape is going to be an exact proliferation of the, again, social reproduction of the society 
that is endorsing your own dehumanization process. I had a question because I don't know if this is like me making it too deep, but I was thinking about how lucid dreaming is one way we can control our dreams. And it's like, is that like some form of internalized like colonizer behavior? Mm -hmm. I think that like is a really good point. Because I remember like a big part of me actually getting into spirituality period was shit. I didn't give a fuck about this spiritual shit. All I wanted to do was astral project. Yeah. I didn't give a <laughs> I remember that about inner child work, shadow work, bitch. I want to be in the sky. It's kind of funny when you think about it like that, not just in terms of like control, right? And that, that being in line with white supremacist logic. But also the way controlling your dreams, whether that be through like lucid dreaming, um, astral projecting, like all those kind of things, kind of taint spirituality, like in a way, mm -hmm. right? Because now you think that like a deep connection with oneself, the people around you and the world in which we occupy is about making up hyper real fantasies. I think what it should be is kind of like this balance between letting the dream create itself and letting you partake in the creation of that dream. And it reminds me of manifestation because at some point you're going to have to actually manipulate your reality to, to like jump into a new reality. Mm -hmm. You have to do things to create the reality that you want. But at other times you have to let the universe take control. Like you're not going to get to that point, always in the way that you think you will. Mm -hmm. That connection to manifestation is like interesting when you think about making your dreams turn into your reality. Mm -hmm. When you start talking about manifestation or like you have to take steps or like you have to control your dream, it kind of like highlights like the connection between the imagination and the lived experience. As we talked about in like the last episode, like you said, we talk about how like our oppressors confine and limit our imagination, right? To create the ideal American subject. And I would even go as far to say, like, we are currently living in the world dreamt of and imagined of by our oppressors, mm -hmm. both systemically and personally. So systemically, we can obviously think about these big structures that we're always talking about, capitalism, white supremacy, but also interpersonally, right? When you look at your traumas, when you look at your maladaptive coping mechanisms, they often come from oppressive forces in your life, whether that be toxic parents, a toxic home, childhood wounds, emotional dysregulation, emotional trauma. It's kind of scary when you think about the way our imagination has been diluted and stunted by said oppressive systems, mm -hmm. because you can never build or accomplish that in which you cannot imagine. Mm -hmm. Right. Just think about like when you reach adult life, this idea that you have to be realistic about things, you can't actually dream big. Like this is the real world. That's not mm -hmm. actually going to happen. Mm -hmm. And how like creativity is squandered in early education. Mm -hmm. And then when we think about it on just like a societal level and we can identify the dreamscape as a place of refuge, we can also see social movements as a place of refuge. Social movements exist as a convocation of the radical imaginations of everyone that is collectively dissatisfied with our world, right? A social movement is a bunch of people coming together that have the ability to imagine something different, imagine something new. And what violence that is to have your ability to imagine 
be stunted or tainted or destroyed. Abolitionists have talked about this a lot, about dreaming as a world-building practice. And when you can identify like a dissatisfaction or a discomfort with our realities due to violence, the way a lot of marginalized people process that emotion is through dreaming, more specifically collective dreaming. As abolitionists, we want to see a complete end to the carceral state, a complete end to the prison industrial complex, right? And to imagine such a like formidable institute in our society, something that has been seen as such a status quo, be destroyed and to mm-hmm. think and create new ways of ensuring justice and addressing harm requires a lot of dreaming. It, it requires a lot of imagination. When you think about collective dreaming as a world-building praxis, and you think about culture and subcultures, right, and how so many subcultures have been built by people escaping from the status quo, escaping from mainstream society. And so that is an example, right, of how collective dreaming and imaginating, imaginating, imagining is able to build worlds. And so think about if we did that on a societal level. Think about if you could also think about protective mechanisms for those subcultures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's funny because like we start to see the ways in which those that are beholden to the status quo, those that hold a lot of privilege, their inability to dream shows itself whenever mm-hmm. we talk about stuff like abolition. But even whenever you tell someone like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, insert big dream here. And they're like, girl, you really think? Mm -hmm. And I just want to like encourage people that feel like their ability to dream has been stunted. Divorce yourself from like the confines of society, of the status quo. Like dreaming is a very life-giving process. Because dreaming is a foundational block for hope. Mm -hmm. Hope cannot exist without dreaming. And so Mm -hmm. when people inhibit their own ability to dream, inhibit their own ability to imagine, what you are doing is rendering yourself hopeless. Mm -hmm. You're bringing on a sense of complacency and neutrality Mm -hmm. towards your reality. Kind of like what we said again in episode two, like, This idea that people view the world as static rather than a dynamic thing to take part in creating. Mm -hmm. And I think that sense of complacency, that loss of hope, also comes from, again, what we were saying earlier, without access to the dreamscape means that you don't have a place in which you can process your emotions. You don't have a place that evokes the emotional vulnerability and the relinquishing of control to the workings of your inner mind that the dreamscape commands. Mm -hmm. What is even worse is when people take out those emotions at the dictation of the state. Mm -hmm. So you feel this anxiety, you feel this fear and worry that you're unable to process because you're unable Mm -hmm. to find refuge in the dreamscape or you're unable to find refuge in social movements. You're unable to imagine a different world in which those emotions are alleviated. And Mm -hmm. so that creates the perfect condition for an entity like the state or even just an oppressor, a toxic person to come in and redirect 
that emotion towards whatever serves their agenda. So we see it all the time, right? We'll have a situation like, let's just use COVID-19, elicit fear and anxiety and worry in people. And so because people cannot sit and process those emotions, it allows for the state to come in and be like, oh, that fear and anxiety, it's coming from immigrants. It's coming from Chinese people. And so now you have completely relinquished any sort of understanding Mm -hmm. of self to the state. And that's a very scary reality. Yeah. Dreams and tapping into that, whether that be like your life dreams, career dreams, whatever dreams, or the actual dream itself, it's a very introspective process. Like it requires a lot of self-awareness. And when I think about that loss of self-control, which is being taken advantage of by the state, it's like tapping into your dreams. I'm trying to say like form of control, but like not in that way. Like you just regain control of your own self. Right. It's not even to gain control. It's to gain understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Not control. With understanding comes a lot of power. Right. Right. With an ability to like name and understand our reality or your reality poignantly and accurately comes a lot of power. Because when you have so many people, like I was saying earlier, whether it be the state, whether it be your parents, whether it be your teachers, whether it be your peers, feeding you different versions of you that you need to be for their narrative, for their agenda, it is really powerful to understand yourself for who you are and what you are. Mm -hmm. And not to control and mold yourself, but just to relinquish control so you can understand yourself. Mm -hmm. It's very, ooh, that's so scorpionic, relinquishing control. Mm Mm-hmm. Very much so. I think an interesting question and like a shadow work prompt that we can answer and I will leave for all of y'all listening to answer for yourselves is what is your dream for our society and what is your dream for yourself and how do those dreams interwork? And the reason why I ask this question is because I feel like so many people have dreams for the world, right? They'll be like, I want a world that's free, no more killing, no more bad stuff. And then they'll have dreams for themselves, right? And those dreams won't always fit together, right? So if I'm saying like, I have a dream of like a world where no one ever wears suits ever. And I want to be a suit maker when I grow up. Like, that doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important question that everyone needs to ask for yourself because it'll help you work towards a reality that is more in your own interest as well as the collective interest. Talk about how that relates to the thing you were saying about cognitive dissonance. Does it relate? Well, it's kind of like a difference between what you envision versus what you feel for yourself and I feel like that like conflicting opposing I guess it's kind of different no like cognitive dissonance is basically like when what you think believe and know is not rhyming with the way you're feeling and acting and behaving and that cognitive dissonance creates like discomfort discomfort I guess like maybe what you were trying to say is like 
when the dreams that you have for yourself doesn't rhyme with like the way you're behaving and acting, which they can never rhyme right if they're functionally incompatible, that will create cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think like what you wanted me to say was like cognitive dissonance, that discomfort is very anxiety inducing. And so like as human beings, we're going to try to alleviate those feelings of discomfort. And that can happen through either creating a false reality in which that dissonance is assuaged or just like changing either the way you think or the way you behave to rhyme with each other. And so that's where actually we see people perpetuate a lot of violence in false reality building in order to assuage their cognitive dissonance. The example that I was using last night on live was like, If you are friends with like people that are like problematic, right? Let's say they're very misogynistic and you claim to be a anti-patriarchal person, that is going to cause yourself cognitive dissonance, right? Because your behavior of putting yourself in proximity to people that are misogynistic is not in alignment with your thinking and beliefs of anti-patriarchy. And so that's going to cause feelings of discomfort in you. Here is where the violence takes place. So in order to take away those feelings of discomfort, what we see a lot of people doing is to- Mental gymnastics. Yeah. So it'll often look like, well, they're not that bad, blah, 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 blah. Or, well, I need to have friends. I can't be lonely, like blah, 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 blah. And that is why I will often tell people that one of the most radicalizing things you can do is engage in truth telling. Having the education and the wisdom, right, to accurately name our reality. Because once you can do that to people, it completely destroys their ability to escape to a false reality in order to assuage their discomfort. And so now people are forced to either sit in the discomfort or change. What I see a lot of people doing in the name of trying to radicalize somebody is be like, that's so bad. You shouldn't be hanging out with those people. They're misogynists. You know that, blah, blah, blah. And what I'm saying is you don't have to do all of that. All you have to do is be like, no, like you are somebody that holds anti-patriarchal beliefs and you're putting yourself in proximity to people that are proliferating violence against women. And that's Mm -hmm. all. I don't think that we should be in the business of being the moral adjudicators of everything. We are not here to say what is good and bad because good and bad can only be determined based on your own value system and your own morals. But what we are in the business of doing is telling things for what they really are. The truth will always come out in the end. And it's very important to be able to discern the truth in a society that convolutes it so much and they convolute it in a way that is so subtle because it involves half-truths. They state your reality but because you live in this dissonance it's much easier to manipulate what you think the truth actually is. Like you know the truth Listen to your intuition, like intuition and truth, I feel like go hand in hand. Mm. So if dreams are ways to tap into your intuition and learning how to work with your dreams strengthens your intuition. The question I'm wondering is, 
okay, what does that mean in the society that wants a sleep deprived? Right, which we also never answered the question of dreams for society and dreams for the whatever. So when I think about my dream for like society, I dream of a world where every individual has complete and total self-determination and bodily autonomy. And I know that's very vague, but that's because I could take five episodes to get into the nitty gritty of what that means. But I think that's very all-encompassing. And when I think about my personal dreams for myself, for one, I think the first thing that comes to mind is the dynamics of all my interpersonal relationships have completely shifted because they're no longer bogged down by systems and structures of oppression or societal demands. Because if we live in a world where everyone has complete and total self-determination and autonomy, we don't have to meet any sort of societal demands in order to procure our safety, our ability to survive. There would be more love to give, right? Because we wouldn't be bogged down in like all these energy draining systems that we have to participate and survive. Gender would be abolished and sex would be abolished. So that wouldn't be such a distractionary piece of our interpersonal relationships. I think about like what I want to do in terms of like in my community. And so like as somebody that wants to be a physician, it probably wouldn't be in a big sterile building anymore. It would probably be in a more Mm -hmm. communal based setting. And in fact, my practice of medicine would probably rarely if ever be limited to the confines of a of four walls. My relationship with myself would probably be different, right? Because I would have more room and space and mental energy for self-exploration and self-evolution. To also take to the past, I think my inner child would be a lot more satisfied. When I think mm-hmm. about my dreams for like the future. Yeah, it's kind of like that thing I've been seeing about how like your decision should only satisfy two people, your five-year-old self and your 89-year-old self. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a big thing also is like, I think I would experience old age a lot differently too in my dream society and dream mm-hmm. self because of ageism and like the disposability of old people. I think there would be a lot more like, richness to Mm -hmm. like being old because like Mm -hmm. older people wouldn't have to be rendered disposable because of their inability to procure capital because capitalism wouldn't exist because of that I can see myself you know laboring more in old age I can see myself like just like existing more in old age like I feel like old age Mm -hmm. right now is so static I can see myself right now I feel like I'd be so happy because all I'd be doing is like I don't even know if I'd have kids or even like a nuclear family. I do see myself working. I see myself doing something with my hands, obviously, in a community. Why do I literally picture my gray hair and my wrinkles and like me working in like a wooden workshop right now? Yeah. And my hands are dirty. Interesting. And I'm smiling. Aww. Interesting. It's so cool because like actually I just became so hopeful. Like That's what dreaming does. Yeah. I feel like for me, we were having, we were talking about this question the other night, the two of us. And at one point I was like, I hate that I am doubting that all of this can happen. And I think doubt is like a natural thing. Yeah. I also have like a lot of self-doubt about what I can actually achieve or like not even achieve but like fulfilling on my 
real dreams and like desires and things like that. Of course, it's going to create doubt. If you're thinking about the society in this day and you're thinking about your ideal dream future, and that's exactly why I asked that question like that way. They have to occur in tandem for you to actually tap into the dreamscape. And vice versa, if you're dreaming of a different society and you're dreaming of yourself in a society that isn't compatible to that, of course you're going to have doubt. Of course you're going to be hopeless. Mm -hmm. And that isn't to negate the doubt that comes with like just sitting with the reality of this society and sitting with how different your dream society is and seeing how big of a jump that is. Like there are ways we can minimize that doubt. One, like, participating Mm -hmm. in a collective dreaming process to making sure your dreams of society are also rhyming with your dreams of yourself yeah because you also said to me like don't think about what you're doing and I think that's like just a reflection of how much importance is placed on our career in the society but more like how you would feel Mm -hmm. what we mentioned earlier in the episode about like how dreams like have very little to do with the actual experiences and things that you're seeing and more to do with the Mm -hmm. emotions elicited. And so when you take that and put that into your dreaming praxis or your radical imagination praxis, we need to focus on the way we feel and from there Mm -hmm. get the experiences and narratives because it's manifestation. There are a million permutations and combinations and iterations of experiences that can elicit feelings of joy, experiences that can elicit feelings of love, safety, liberation, and freedom. That's why we can't get into the nitty gritty because there are so many. Right. And that's what like pisses me off when, for example, like my parents or like older generations will ask me like, okay, what is a world without prisons look like and blah, blah, blah. And they're like expecting some one answer, some tangible like And yes, there are tangible solutions that you can like offer, but I think what I'm trying to say is like, it is so hard to give you that one straight answer because there is no one straight answer. There's a million different permutations of a certain reality. Right. Abolitionists have already like explained that because Mm -hmm. like, and abolitionists will often say transformative and restorative justice and other methods of reducing harm and accountability then they'll be like, oh, what does transformative justice look like? What does accountability look like, right? That looks Mm -hmm. like a million different ways because in every community Mm -hmm. that would manifest in a different way. But what we do know is that transformative justice centers transforming the conditions that allowed for the harm to occur in the first place. And so in one community or in one period of time, that can look like removing a perpetrator of harm. And another time that can look like training community members to not be passive bystanders when harm is occurring. Mm -hmm. In one case, that can look like removing the actual physical locations that are incubators for harm. There's a million ways that can manifest. But what is true is that like harm is lessened. We feel safer. That is the feeling that remains the same. Mm -hmm. When trying to cultivate Whether it be like a dream routine or an attitude towards dreaming, a dream politic, like look to abolitionists. They have been dreaming for a hot minute and they've been dreaming very big, radical, cool ass dreams. Did I ever answer the question? Um, I feel like you kind of did, actually. You talked about your older self. I don't want to be repetitive because like it's very much the same yeah my relationships to myself to my community to the world would just be transformed 
And yeah, I just want to live in a world where we can all just see ourselves reflected in the world that we exist in and not have to feel so isolated from a society because we live in it. And like, how can we live in something that doesn't truly encompass who we are? Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you learned something new today. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support the making of future episodes, please consider becoming a monthly donor or leaving us a tip on Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. All of those links will be in the episode description. Lastly, make sure to follow us on Insta, Twitter, and TikTok for updates and even more Allegedly content. Our handle for all social media is at WeSaidAllegedly. See you all next Thursday.